Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi guys, and welcome to a new episode of Unit Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat. I am the host. And quick reminder, before we get into the good stuff today, because we have some good stuff today, that although I'm a therapist and although this podcast is called Unit Therapy, this does not serve as a replacement or substitute for any actual mental health services. However, it still can be helpful. So now that we have that out of the way, I get to introduce part two of the conversation that I had with singer-songwriter J.P. Sachs. It's going to be just as good as last week, and I know you guys loved the episode last week and some of the things we talked about. We expand on some of those topics about breakups and heartbreak and all of that, and we also dive into some more topics and talk about masculinity, what it means to be a protector, and all of the things. So if you have not listened to part one, press pause go listen to part one and then you can listen to part two because this was the way that the actual conversation happened. So I just think it would make more sense for you that way. And I want to remind you guys that if you are new to JP Sachs and one, you're welcome, but two, you need to follow him on Instagram. His Instagram handle is at JP Sachs, S-A-X-E. He has a song that came out a couple weeks ago called When You Think of Me. And then he also has, very timely, a song coming out this Friday called The Good Parts. And we talk about some of that in the conversation. So you're going to want to definitely go follow him on Instagram. And if you click on the link in his bio, you can pre-save that song. And you can, in the meantime, go listen to When You Think of Me because it is such a good song. So thank you, JP, for continuing this conversation. And thank you guys for continuing to listen to this conversation. I will talk to you guys on Wednesday for Couch Talks, but in the meantime, here is part two of my conversation with J.P. Sachs. I do have a question about, for you really actually as a, a man, what is it like? Well, I'm going to ask this generally and then I'm going to get a little bit d- deeper. So what's it like just in our world being a man who has, is this is an assumption, but I assume that you have access to your feelings and you're pretty emotionally literate. So what is it like for you to be a man in this kind of toxic masculinity driven society who has feelings, who has access to them, who talks about them, who writes about them, um, who sings about them? What is that like for you? Is, is it all sunshine and rainbows? Is there a light and a dark side? I think I arrived at the analysis of my emotions in a, in a number of ways. I'm not sure I actually feel my emotions nearly as much as one would expect as someone who works with the jurisdiction of emotions. I think part of the reason that I developed the skill of articulating my emotions in songs was because I didn't feel like I I knew how to actually embrace or feel them for a number of reasons. I mean, I think that's like a lot of that is growing up with an alcoholic parent, like my adolescence. I learned conflict resolution and communication as an only child with two parents 
a lot of the time under the influence of something. My mom really struggled with alcoholism um, in my teenage years. My dad is the best dad in the world, but like can be rather conflict avoidant. So that dynamic was me getting home from school at 5 p.m. to just a irreverently drunk mom who I learned as a 12-year-old that if I said the wrong thing, that she would break shit or hit me or leave and she could be gone for three days and we wouldn't know what was going on. But if I said the right thing and if I treated her with the, if I like went about it exactly the right way, then I could have like silly, drunk, fun mom. But that could like flip, like I could, it could be one word and that would flip. But I would make it a game for myself. I I kind of would get home and it was like a challenge. And my dad would tell me like, you know, you have to be the mature one when I was like 11, 12, because you know, she's not, she's not going to be. So you have to, you have to be the mature one. And obviously there's an intense emotional reaction as a kid to seeing your parent like that. But I couldn't let myself feel that because if I, the worst thing I could say was something about how it affected me. Like that would be the most triggering thing for her. So that was really my first experience with navigating emotionally tumultuous moments was having to channel my full emotional experience through an intellectual lens to make sure I said things in the right way. And I think that did two things to me as a young adult. It honed my ability to articulate my emotions even when they were very intense. It also made it very, very hard for me to have any sort of honest emotional reaction without intellectualizing first. So that's like one of the challenges of my life, but it's also one of the blessings of my life because I think it frames my entire profession as a songwriter. Yeah. And one, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate that. And also, thank you for sharing that just in the sense that there I am, have as a therapist assuming something about somebody and thinking that it comes from one space when we really have no idea the experiences we've had that led us to be the humans that, that we are. And so you have this amazing skill of being able to write and articulate feelings that people can also then, you know, feel with you and feel connected. But it comes from this, like, actually, I'm going to use this word and I don't know if it's going to fit. So if it doesn't, just let me know. It comes from the traumatic experience. So it, it comes from a, a situation that we might not ha- have chosen. And talk about like a weird dissonance. That's a weird dissonance. Yeah. I mean, so to speak to the rest of your question also about like how that ties into masculinity, I think, well, firstly, I think people falsely equate being able to express your emotions in a song with vulnerability. I don't personally think there's anything that vulnerable about the songs because I have spent months crafting exactly how I want to present those emotions. And to me, my definition of vulnerable is allowing yourself to exist with without all of the editing. And that is highly, highly edited emotional content. Like, highly. Like, I craft, I spend months crafting exactly how I want to articulate the emotion that I am fitting into a song. Now, as a person, like, that absolutely is rooted in, I had to, when I was, you know, in my early 20s in trying to unlearn the conflict resolution that I had developed through my mom, in order to feel really anything, I needed to figure out how to describe it to myself. I needed to describe it to myself in order to feel it. So, yeah, now I describe my emotions to through songs in a way that then allows other people to feel it but it's really just me trying to show myself how to feel it and other people feel their emotions similarly to the way i do so that works in people who listen to my music but the the area in my life where i'm vulnerable is definitely not my music because it even though they're about sensitive things they're about personal things i've i've been so thoughtful about how i want to craft it that it feels it feels safe it feels intentional I was going to ask you, like, is there any, like, regret in, like, writing a song about something and then you have to, like, sing it all the time and maybe it's about a time that you don't want to go back and and be in? I can make the assumption it might be wrong that, like, maybe not because of what you were just expressing of, like, this is a pretty crafted thing and I'm I'm sharing this in a way that actually doesn't feel that vulnerable to me. Although... I mean, not that it's dishonest. Right, right. Like, it's... There's a difference. If it's dishonest, it gives me anxiety because... I know, I know that I'm, 
that not just for other people, but for myself, I am time capsuling an yeah. emotion, a feeling that is going to represent for me personally, like an era of my life, an, an era of what it felt like to be myself in a moment. Yeah. So I, w- I want to accurately depict that for myself. Where do you feel the most vulnerable? Like, when do you feel the most like this is the hard, tough stuff? Yeah, it, it's the moments that I don't get to, uh, that I have to exist without really thinking through how I'm going to exist yet. Just allowing myself to be unedited, unfiltered, unprepared. What about at, like live shows? I mean, I love live shows. I find them very stimulating. It's like, it's like a conversation, but you know, you get the added charisma that you're given by the, how stimulating it is to be on stage and in front of a lot of people. Like there's a there's yeah. a personality I get to have on stage that is very hard to simulate anywhere else because of just the chemical mm. implications of being in front of that many people. Yeah, that's fair. I was going to say at the Nashville show that I was at, I don't know if you remember this because I don't know if you remember everything that happens on stage, but I don't remember what song it was, but there was a song that like you had like the audience sing part of it. And then you ended up singing like the same verse a couple times. And I wouldn't even, I don't even want to call this a mess up because the way that you orchestrated it was like, well, this is kind of like the coolest moment of the show. Like everybody was laughing. It felt like everybody was in it together. You felt like a real person, even though that was like, you we, you were closer to us than some venues that you might play in, but like you actually felt like a real person. You weren't robotic. So does that feel vulnerable or is that a space where you like, I feel like I'm alive and I can be myself and I can be messy even though I'm performing? To be honest, I, I don't exactly know. Um, maybe, maybe I falsely equate vulnerability with discomfort. So it feels weird to call that vulnerability because I feel very comfortable in that space. But maybe that's like a false pretense. I love that stuff. Like I, I love when the shows are spontaneous and different and exist in a way that they're not going to exist in any other moment. And I, I remember the moment you're talking about because it was in three minutes. Okay, yes, yep. And there's the end of the verse is the, I'm afraid you won't meet me halfway. And I like chuckled and I was like, kind of went down like that. And then the next line, and you're afraid I won't know how to stay. And then I also chuckled because it also went down like that. And it just felt like there was this sad, um, prophetic nature to that moment of that song. And then as I continued to perform the song, kept thinking about that moment and then forgot all of the words to the second verse and luckily people in the audience knew it and helped i loved that and i feel like i you don't see that a lot and i don't know what that means or or if that's even important but i was like well this is actually one of the most memorable parts of the show and i'm remembering it in a good way let's actually go back to that and just maybe you were talking about more of like why your emotions really came about but I actually do really want to know even if you don't feel that way even if you don't feel like you have the access to your emotions the way people might assume of you what is it like because I feel like a lot of the conversations around masculinity happen without men it's women talking about men and I'm very interested in what is the perspective of the man because while while women are all genders really are affected by just patriarchy in general and masculinity in general. We're affected, but you guys are affected by it too because there's expectations. Mm-hmm. And how do we actually show up as authentic and love that part of us if it doesn't meet expectations? So just tell me what it's like to have feelings as a guy. Sure. I mean, I think the stereotype that men are not emotional is so absurd because I think it acts as if some feelings count as emotional and some feelings don't. Right. As if like, you know, you picture your stereotypical like dude, like, you know, cisgendered straight dude punching through a wall in anger. And, but that's just him like being, I don't know, manly as if like, that's not, that's not emotional being emotional. Yep. But like a woman can, shed a few tears in her car listening to a song and she's the hysterical one Uh quote unquote big air quotes on that one for those people listening but like it it, as if like we've we've established that some emotions can be quote unquote manly and some make you any version of the derogatory sexist words that we call men so yeah that spectrum is odd to me i think regardless of your gender whether you're non-binary whether you're woman whether you're man we live in a society that teaches us that some emotions are more allowed 
than others in our identity. And also I think the idea that like emotions and intellect are separate is just absurd as well. Like they're a very intertwined experience of ourselves, and there's all kinds of information in your emotions that you mm-hmm. get to then think about. Mm-hmm. Now, I live in a world where like most of the, most of the people around me are emotionally literate, big feeling, articulate people who are very rarely in this version of their life told that they're being too much. But you don't live in Southern California. You know, you grow up in any kind of small town. The version of what it means to be a quote-unquote man is a pretty limited thing. But I also think that expanding on that doesn't mean rejecting it. Because, you know, maybe like you saw your dad, your uncles in a certain way, and there's things about who they are that you want to embrace. I have like a bunch of non-binary friends who have not just rejected the stereotypes of what it means to be a quote-unquote man, they've rejected the identity of man at all. But that doesn't mean that there isn't things that about who they are that they've taken from their dads or their uncles or their grandfathers. Like, it's not a, it's not a one or the other thing. It's not like, you know, you're either this super masculine human in the way that you grew up learning you were supposed to be, or you become this, like, sensitive, crying all the time, like, weird stereotype it's just all deeply whack. The truth is there are just so many ways to be a person that live on a spectrum that's a lot wider than the parts of it that we limit ourselves to and figuring out what part of that feels the most honest without the limitation of the perceived judgment of certain emotions more than others is a really freeing, really wonderful thing that I think makes you stronger as a human being if you can embrace the individuality of that, not weaker because you're not being a quote-unquote man. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There was 
a million things you just said, but one, what did you say? I need you, I need you to repeat that because I liked it. Something about you can, was it like you just, dis, you can disagree with it without rejecting it? Like you can keep parts of it. I like that idea that like we yes. don't have to completely like abolish masculinity to not live in this like one or the other world. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the exciting yeah. part of it. Yeah. It's not like, you're like, well, toxic masculinity fucked, masculinity fucked, you know, I'm abandoning all of that. It's not like that. It's, it's, it's finding the parts of your emotional experience that feel the most authentic to yourself and not limiting that to the boundaries that, you know, you have been taught growing up. Now, that's not easy to do. Right. Especially, you know, if, you know, for better or worse, I, I have the blessing of not being tied to too many expectations mm-hmm. of my very small family. So it's, I, I recognize that there's a challenge to existing in opposition to the expectations of a lot of people around you. There's a freeing component that you're talking about. And then there's a, a grief component too for a lot of people because leaning into this idea that we don't have to be one or the other, we don't have to be two things, this isn't right and this that's wrong. By finding freedom for that, you might be grieving certain relationships, certain expectations that you might even have for yourself, ideas like means to an ends for certain things. When we are not groomed isn't the right word, but it, when we are brought up in a culture where there are these two things that feel really stable and then we realize because these two things don't neither feels like right or safe, we still feel really uncomfortable in the process of getting out of it, right? So like I can feel actually safer in this place where I don't have to live in these like lines drawn for me but it also might be way more uncomfortable and I think a lot of times people get those confused where if I'm uncomfortable that means I'm not safe but actually this is safer it just feels weird and there's some loss in that and loss is uncomfortable so for you personally not everybody's experience is going to be like yours and so I don't want you to feel like you have to qualify it but what do you think were the things in your system and your community that let you kind of move outside of those lines that society kind of draws or definitely draws I am very lucky to be to be rewarded for embracing my emotional experience of the world I also get to think about my feelings all of the time like it's my job because it is. I mean, just like you do. Like, we, we live in a world where we get to think about our feelings 12 hours a day, if we want to. That is not the reality for most people. Most people go to a, a job that doesn't leave very much room for them to be thinking about their emotional experience of the world because they've got shit to do. And therefore, you have a couple hours on either side of a job where there is space to explore your emotions. And it's also exhausting and you're coming home to a couple of hours where you probably still have all kinds of things to do, whether it be the roles of your family or any number of things. All that to say, the amount of time in the day where there is left to be analytical about your emotional experience is pretty small. And it's probably parts of the day where you're already exhausted from everything else you had to do to just exist. In that reality is where I think artists provide yeah. value because we get to spend, we have to spend a lot of time analyzing our emotions so we can distill it into something that becomes a little window for someone to get to those parts of themselves a little faster. So maybe I spend months thinking about a feeling so I can capture that feeling in a three minute song. So when you get home at the end of your day, exhausted, you can, you know, sit in your bedroom, listen to that song and access that feeling in yourself with a little bit more ease without having to spend all that time to get there because an artist spent all that time to get there for you and help you get there. That, that is like, if I were to romanticize where I feel purposeful as an artist, it's in yeah. that process. Well, that, I don't even think that's romantic. That seems pretty factual to me. You are providing a really valuable service to a lot of people. Thanks. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful I get to do it. I think, I think poets do it. I think filmmakers do it. I think writers do it. I think... I think that's why it's important for artists to face the more difficult elements of their emotional experience. You know, I think it's why, you know, when people ask me, like, is it hard to write about the most difficult parts of your life? Is it hard to write about these difficult feelings? It's like, it feels the most purposeful when it's more difficult. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
I really like that. It feels more purposeful when it's difficult. If this was like no big deal, it'd be like, oh, I could do this with my eyes closed. Like, what does it matter? I want to go back, though, to what you said in the very beginning of about you think it's kind of silly that people say men don't have emotions because I agree with you. And I think we've categorized certain emotions as masculine and feminine. That that one's okay to have. That one's not okay. But you're right. And if we actually opened up space to look around us and see things more clearly, we would see that every day. But because of the boxes people get put in, like think about fear or or I think about any feeling. And, And to me, the way I view emotions is that feelings are guides and they kind of like lead us to what we need. So if I'm feeling something, it's saying like, hey, hey, there's something going on. There's something that you need. Let's tend to it. And so if we only let men feel certain things like anger, it can even be seen as like cool or like, oh yeah, like he's protective and he's this. And, and there's a whole thing about men and protection that I won't go down. Well, if men are only allowed to feel that, they don't get to explore like what the actual, like what's underneath any of that. While women can sometimes, and if you're not in one of those boxes, then who knows what your rules are. And maybe there are like a mixture of them and that makes it even more confusing. But what happens if I, like, for example, if I am having road rage, I use this example all the time. I want to know your thoughts on this. If I am driving and let's say for the sake of this conversation, I'm a dude, somebody who cuts me off and I'm like pissed and I honk my horn, I flip them off. I'm like, fuck you, man. And blah, 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 whatever. Okay. Most people, that's road rage. That's rage. Most people would say, oh, okay. Like rage, anger, like Okay, that's where it stops. And there's nothing else going on there. But what I actually think, if we were to boil that down and the feelings were like equal and free for everybody, is it really anger that's there? Or is there something else? Because when somebody cuts you off, what happens is you maybe you almost got in a wreck or maybe you like almost spilt your coffee or like who knows what happened. But a lot of times underneath that rage is fear. And fear is an emotion that is like so wonderful because it, it, one, it can protect us, but also it shows us what's important to us. And sometimes that's just basically our life is important to us. But what we do is like men don't get to go down that like ladder and see like, oh, okay, that actually I was scared. And um, what do I need? Well, if I'm scared, do I need, do I need protection? Do I need care? Do I need comfort? Well, no, you can't need that because you're supposed to protect and you're supposed to care and you're supposed to do all that stuff. And so all of that to say is, is it's not that personally that I see, it's not that men don't have these emotions that men are emotional. When anybody says like, oh, I'm not very emotional. No, you are. You just kind of like stifle yourself and you put all your emotions in this box and then everything else is living underneath a rock somewhere that might explode at any given moment. I have a couple thoughts on that. And I want to speak specifically to the protectiveness you mentioned, because we were talking about it a bit earlier too, in, in my own experience. Whether you're man, non-binary, woman, I, I think all of us feel protective of the people we love. But in the context right now of cisgendered man, there is absolutely that stereotype of we are the protector. I actually don't think that's one that if you feel, if, if that comes naturally to you, you feel you want to protect your family. That's a beautiful thing. I don't think anyone's suggesting you should not feel that way. I think the the exciting part of the conversation is it's just maybe expand what that means to protect the people you love. You know, sure, like that occasionally will mean you are physically protecting the people you love. Depending on where you live, probably not very often. But why why can't your desire and your nature to be a protector, why can't that apply to protecting someone's emotional safety? Someone's safety in, in themselves you know, because that's where we live on a daily basis. You know, you're a man in a relationship with a woman and you want to make that woman feel safe. Isn't that safety like a safety to be herself? And making her feel safe to be herself means showing up to her as a good listener, showing up for her with consistency, with affection. Like that's being a protector. So I don't think it's about like when we talked about, you know, we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater on some of these stereotypes. Like it's not all bad. It's just a little bit of redefinition of like how we shape protector. 
It was about a year ago, maybe uh, actually probably a year and a half ago, I, I had a conversation with Justin Baldoni, who wrote this book, Man Enough. I mean, his podcast is freaking incredible. So I was asking him, I don't remember what I asked. He kind of like gave it to me straight. He's so great. And he's an expert on on this. It's what he's spending his life work on. And I don't know what I asked him. But he went on this kind of like, um, it wasn't a rant, but he just said it was so much like uh, oomph that I was like, yes. But I think I was talking about how like, if I'm dating a, a man, I want him to be emotional. I want to be able to have emotional conversations. And there also is that part of me that's like, well, he can't be too emotional. So I want him to cry, but like, I want him to cry at certain things. And it's a whole thing that I've had to dismantle myself. And he was like, yeah, because there's um, this experience that we're all going through and we're all, all kind of working, working through some, well, some of us are, where like a woman feels like she needs to be protected. And so when we see something that is in our society deemed as weak, which is, again, emotions are seen as weak, where I see them as like, these are tools, these are guides, these are amazing things. But if you show too much of them, or you can't control them with air quotes, then there becomes this fear of the woman that the man can't protect me. And he went down this whole rabbit trail around like, well, why do we actually need to be protected? Because there are uh, there's other men out there that we do feel we need to be protected from. So I say all that, because with the idea that, wait, there's other ways that somebody can protect me. I might be in a relationship with somebody who could like literally take anybody out. If somebody tries to like hurt me in any physical way, he can like karate chop, you know, like get, figure that out. <laughs> but I have, haven't told them huge parts of me. Like I don't feel safe enough to like actually share with them experiences that I had or beliefs that I have about myself or I still feel like I have to perform to be wanted by that person or I can't, I can't show certain emotions else this person is going to think X of me. So you're bringing in this amazing idea and, and I'm so obsessed with looking at words and really digging into their meaning like protection. Why are we thinking about that in this one way? When if you don't feel like you can be yourself with your partner, no matter what gender they identify with, you're not protected. Right. I mean, I, I agree completely. And if you're, you know, if you're listening to this as someone who feels a sense of, you feel a desire to be a protector for someone you're in a relationship with, which I definitely do. Yeah. What does that mean other than make your partner feel safe? That's what that means. To protect someone means make them feel safe. What does on a daily basis it mean to make your partner feel safe? Right? Like that can be so very many things. Yeah. It doesn't mean beat up the guy down the street. Like that's not no, what it means at all. The majority. I mean, maybe once a year, <laughs> if you live in the right neighborhood, right. it means that. But like on a daily basis, it probably means emotional things. It probably means being in touch enough with your emotions that your partner isn't going to feel judged when they share theirs with you. And to just the, to what you're saying with Justin Baldoni, I, I, I mean, I love him. Big fan. Like, cannot wait to meet him. Would love to talk. You need him. to be on his podcast. I would love to be on his podcast. You would be a perfect guest. And, like when he, you know, cries on that podcast, like there is something revolutionary about that. But also, I think there's a nuance to that, that like being in touch with your emotions as a quote-unquote man, doesn't just mean like every time you feel something, you cry. It means when you are in a setting where it is safe to do so, you aren't stopping yourself because of the way you've internalized what it means to be a man. No one's saying that like, you know, you should, you know, someone should say something hurtful to you on the job and then you should just start crying. You know, like that's that's not that's not emotional regulation any, like <laughs> that's not what anyone's fighting for right it's why like even when you hear athlete like you know this might be like slightly controversial amongst the community around reshaping masculinity but like you know when athletes say like you know you don't cry on the court that's a different like we can be discerning about this like yeah maybe it does show weakness to cry on a sports field <laughs> like yeah that does but that's a different fucking setting than you get home, you have a, you're with your family or your partner or your children and something really sad happens, whatever it is. You're having a conversation about trauma, you're having a conversation about you know, issues in your youth, you're having a conversation about someone who's passed. 
in that setting, strength can mean crying in that setting because it's weak to think you can't be seen that way. It's weak to not be secure enough to let the people you love be seen that way. Like redefining masculinity doesn't mean we're just walking around sobbing all the time. Right. Which we have to be discerning. Right. Again, that goes to we're not getting rid of it. And I, I you, you're opening up a whole other conversation, which I won't t- take you completely down. But I have this real like thing about intimacy and vulnerability and like, yeah, we have where there's a movement and Brene Brown is leading the pack and we need, yeah, we need to actually like access that part of us. And it is very important. And I don't need to tell my trauma to every single person I meet or go on a date with or see or think is nice or or find funny. Like that's first of all, that's not intimacy and vulnerability. That's just information sharing. That can be trauma dumping. That's trauma dumping is not intimacy. And so I think that we have as as we are like redefining a lot of things right now, which is so important. What we're doing is we're taking out that discernment part We're we're just putting we're going from over here to over here. And first of all, that's terrifying for a lot of people. And so some people are just like, no, not doing that. You want me to cry everywhere I go? No, I'm not doing that. Well, great, because we're not asking you to. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you for saying that because you're right. There are spaces where actually if I want to like access that part of me that I feel like is shut down, I have to do it in places that are safe. So if it's not yeah. safe to do it, like literally, like if I want to learn how to be vulnerable, I need to do it in places that are safe because if I'm vulnerable to every person I meet, I'm going to have a lot of experiences that say, hey, don't do that anymore. And then I'm going to create whether it's a trauma bond or a belief about myself. And it's the same thing with masculinity of of maybe one day there will there will be a space where like we don't even have to have these conversations and everybody is just like a bubble of love. But that's not where we are (laughs) right now. And so because of that, we have to we have to actually like track and say, okay, this is a space where like this is welcome and maybe that's even stretching it too far. Maybe it's sometimes it's not welcome and I still can be myself and there's work to be done around that. But I have to have the ability to say, wait, I believe that this is an okay part of me, but this isn't the place to do that because it would be harmful to do it here. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. 
tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have to have the ability to say, wait, I believe that this is an okay part of me, but this isn't the place to do that because it would be harmful to do it here. Yeah, and, and that's hard. Like, oh yeah. That is that is a hard thing to go about yeah. doing because being able to differentiate between good discomfort, like uncomfortable but push through discomfort and no no, discomfort, don't do that anymore. Bad that's hard. It like knowing the difference is hard. And you make mistakes in that. Oh, totally. Also being discerning is hard. Being not looking at things in the binary is hard because sure it's it's simpler to be like okay this is what i was taught being a one of the two genders means growing up in whatever framework of a mentality i was i've grown up in it's easier just to be like okay like living a life correctly means just doing that but dismantling that <laughs> means there's now a lot more options which requires a lot more thought in, in fitting into, you know, what does it mean to be myself separate from the things that I've learned to be myself within, right. but not completely separate. Right. Like also, what do I still want to take from that? Like that, that's just, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And I, I think that's why, you know, I don't really have all that much judgment for people who, you know, haven't found that or are like a little bit adverse to it because it makes sense. Like it's, challenging it's not an easy it's not like a, you just do it thing yeah I, I wish that it was that way but it, it's not at all and as we go through those spaces what n people maybe don't talk about as much is that the more you open yourself up the more I've opened myself up the more people are going to open themselves up to like expanding their view of what they can be and how they can be the more you're also opening yourself up for criticism and judgment and speculation and all the things that don't feel great. And we have to learn, and it's a process. We have to learn that like people agreeing with us or people under, even understanding us isn't like a measure of like doing it right. Like totally. just because somebody understands me, they might have the wrong idea and I have to stop basing my actions and my the way I go out and experience the world on other people's understanding of how I'm living because you're never in there's no way to get a hundred percent accuracy on people understanding you and agreeing with you there's no way but the more I'm going to kind of color outside of those lines the more people won't get me right now and that's tough yeah I mean even, even like calling back to something we were talking about a while ago like the subject matter of my new music it, it's a little bit, a tad more controversial than the subject matter of my last album. This is true. Because the nuances of being left are far more explored in songwriting than the nuances of leaving. I want to say, like, you're doing the Lord's work because, like, no, people aren't <laughs> no, talking not. about that. You're, I, <laughs> no, I, that's an exaggeration. But, like, I, when I listened to your, your new song the first time I listened to it, I literally texted my friends and I said, well, if somebody's going to break up with me, this is how I would want them to do it. Right. And I know it's like not that simple because, again, I might be that person on the other side that's like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I might not have learned this sure. idea that you're pl placing out there yet. And it's not an idea that's talked about. And for people to actually understand it, we have to talk about it. And I understand why it's not as talked about or explored because we villainize the people who have left us. Not all of us do, but a lot of us villainize the people who have left us. And... I understand why, because anger is, I think, easier to feel than sadness. It's very hard to be sad at someone. You can't be sad at someone. You can be angry at someone. So if you're if you have immense sadness, I think you you 
because you can't be sad at, you convert that sadness into something else and that's what you project. That makes sense, but it's the vantage point that I have right now and I do feel creatively purposeful in exploring it right now because it does feel underexplored, but that doesn't come with any, that doesn't come with the lack of recognition that being on the other side of things is fucking horrible. It's fucking horrible. And it, it does, I have no lack of empathy for how horrible it is to be on the other side of these songs. Do you feel less supported in the music you're making right now because of that? It's a, it's a really good question. I do feel it's been a bit polarizing. You know, the responses to, I mean, I put out one song from this body of work, but there's quite a lot more that explores the nuances of the emotional experience. But on this song, on When You Think Of Me, you know, it's kind of either been like, fuck you, fuck this, or it's been, this helped me understand the end of a relationship in a way that he would have never been able to explain to me, and I'm so grateful. Or actually, one of my favorite ones was, this helped me forgive someone who, I don't know if he deserved it, but I needed to forgive him for myself. And these are the words he never would have said to me. You know, like that, yeah. obviously, is, as feedback is like really meaningful. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I, I get it, and I, I, my goal is not to be defensive. My goal is not to be like, hey, like you, you know, you're demonizing the person in the role of walking away and here's all the reasons why you shouldn't. I'm, I'm not even trying to say that, but I, I guess I am saying to, I, I just, I don't know. It's, there's not even like a mission statement in it. It's just. <laughs> I think that there is maybe not a mission statement, but there is a lot of power. And in, in, again, I've only heard this one song, so I'm very interested in hearing more but there is a perspective that again like I have not heard and it doesn't necessarily apply to my situations where I've wanted to hate somebody but I can totally understand and and sit in a space where I'm like oh my god like maybe he isn't this horrible bad terrible guy that needs to do whatever or a girl that needs to do whatever or maybe he, there is this space that can that somebody can coexist and live and maybe maybe that doesn't make it easier for me to feel but it actually leads me to healing a lot faster if a relationship ends and there isn't abuse like setting aside when there is abuse because that's different so when when a relationship ends without abuse and there isn't infidelity there isn't you know any of the ugly ways a relationship can end there's just two people tragically growing apart, tragically growing apart in a way that neither of them wanted. And one person recognized that, recognizes that in a way that the other doesn't want to or doesn't want to accept. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an extraordinarily painful thing. And I don't know very many songs that recognize that love can be over and also real. And for me, that is a that is a more peaceful place to exist. Now, I know it's a lot easier for me to exist there having it been my decision, and it's a lot harder to come to that awareness when it's something that happened that you didn't want to happen. And I recognize that and I have empathy for that. But for me, in either of my last two relationships, like I have no interest in looking back at those relationships and in trying to write over beautiful memories with you know, the filter of disdain. Like, I don't want to do that. It makes me sad. Well, yes, because I, th I think a struggle that I no longer have is that in a relationship, even if when it did end poorly, I still had so many good moments, like so many good memories and so many good experiences. And I felt the need to tarnish them all and say that they were all a lie. But like, wait a second, we did really care about each other when we went on that trip. And really, we did laugh a lot. And we did do that thing. And we did make that. And and uh, we did go to that place. And I don't have to ruin all of those memories because that was me living my life. And that was a part of my life I really liked. And that's really hard for people. And I think there's like so much freedom in this idea you're putting out there. We're like, wait, 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 wait. You don't have to do that. Those things can still all be really, really good. And those can be memories that you hold on forever. Maybe you can't feel, maybe you can't sit with those right now. Maybe you need some time, but like you don't have to throw those away. And it's easier for us to say, I need, I remember saying, going through a breakup, like I wish he would have just cheated on me or I wish he would have done this because I, I just want to hate him so much. Yeah. 
because it would have been easier for me to throw everything away than realize that parts of that were good and it just wasn't going to work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly it. I think that's exactly it. Yeah, but you hadn't written this song yet, so I had to figure that out on my own. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's just, it's easier to tell yourself that it was all a lie than it is to come to terms with something that was really beautiful and you don't get to have it anymore. Yeah. But oh. you did have it. Yeah. Well, we're just going to end this one on a, on a sad, happy note, a mixture. Mm-hmm. That, that's the both and that like it's, there's good and there's icky and all of this. And I think that is like the great risk we take, right? That's the great risk we take with any relationship that any relationship can end or change or shift. And we get to make the choice. Do we want to risk that or do we want to live with this like pit or this desire or this longing that we just refuse to let ourselves follow? We get to make those decisions. Yeah, it's on us. Yeah. Hey, this was so nice. Thank you for having me. Oh, this was amazing. I feel like I could talk to you for 10 years, but I assume you have things to do and I might have other things to do as well. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.